0: We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby. It is the
2: Michael Dukes Show. How about that? Tuesday edition. Tuesday edition of the show, and absolutely no tacos for anyone this morning. Which is unfortunate because, man, everybody could use a few tacos. You know what I mean? You you know what I'm you know what I'm saying? Can you hear? Can you smell what I'm cooking? All right. Uh, welcome back to the program. It is Tuesday, which means uh, <clears throat> today we're going to be doing our weekly deep dive into the uh, into the good stuff. That's right. We're gonna we're gonna talk uh, in hour one this morning. We got just a few headlines that we're gonna dive into first. And then we're going to pick it up with uh, Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, who's going to come on board and chat with us about the weekly top three. Today on the program on the weekly top three, we're going to cover the budget as it is envisioned for us by the House Finance Committee. Then we're going to take up the uh, latest editorial from the ADN board. Brad is a little bit surprised that he is, in fact, in agreement with the ADN board on their issues with permanent fund investment, and then uh, finally, we're going to talk about why the Senate, fi- uh, Senate, uh, State Senate should be focusing on campaign finance reform. Um, it, you know, at this time, I mean, we're seventy. What are we? Seventy-one days now into the uh, seventy-one days into the legislative session. I mean, technically, sh- we should only have nineteen more days, but uh, you know, these folks are going to. These folks are gonna push it all the way to the limit. 120 days is what they figure they have. So we'll see what goes on here uh as we get closer to that 90 day mark. Maybe they're gonna push for it to uh maybe they're gonna push for it all to be closed and be shut down by 90 days. I mean, they all wanna get back out on the campaign trail, you know. I mean it's like the thing. They definitely want to uh be back out there talking about this stuff. Um, all right. So that is the uh that's the first that's kind of the first hour of the program, and then in hour two, we're going to be joined um, by you because we're going to open up some phone lines and talk with you about some stuff, and then we will be uh, talking with. Um, um, then we're going to be talking with Chris Story in hour two for our weekly life coaching lesson, and uh, we look forward to. We look forward to seeing that. We look forward to talk with him every week. He gives us something to look forward to. Um, and we're really, we're, we're looking that. Um, so, uh, what what, what, what where, where, where are we? Where are we going to go? Uh, what are we going to do here this morning? All right, so we're going to hit some headlines. So that's it for today. We got Chris Story, Brad Keithley. Tomorrow on the program, Kelly Shabaka will be joining us in hour one. And we'll be talking with her. I don't know if you saw the latest. We'll cover this in just a bit, but the latest shows some um, some some bean counters got together and uh, shows that she could uh, that she could beat Lisa Murkowski, which um, I mean is a pleasant surprise for many of us. We'll see how that uh, we'll see how that actually plays out when it's all said and done. But that is the the word is is that <clears throat> she could potentially beat uh, Lisa Murkowski on this. So that would be. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, oh, uh, Kelly Chewbacca, then Mike Shower, and on Thursday, don't know yet, but I'm sure that we'll have somebody. Um, I don't know where to start. Where do we start here? All right. Well, I guess we'll. Uh, I guess we can start with that. Um, no, we should start with this. Okay. We're going to start with this, which is that the House floor session yesterday came to an abrupt end as Speaker Louise Stutes gaveled in and then immediately called for a recess. After she arrived, late, by the way, uh, she said in it that she had sent a memo to legislative staff officers earlier in the day stating that all members and staff must wear masks in the House chambers. And there were members in the room who were on mask and therefore she was calling for a recess until they complied. Uh, the cameras didn't pan over, but according to must Alaska, there were three members who were not wearing masks. And that include representative Ben Carpenter, David Eastman and Chris Kirka. The speaker had ordered the Sergeant of arms to prevent anyone from entering the chamber who was unmasked. The uh, three legislators remained in the room because if they left, they wouldn't be allowed to return without properly being face masked. Eastman went on to post, uh, what he thought was going on on Facebook. He said, and I quote, "The speakers made it clear that she considers me a threat to her health, based on the personal medical interventions I choose to take or not take. She's incorrect. I'm not a threat. I'm not sick. Unlike the speaker, I did not attend a floor session while sick last week, with COVID. If the reports are to be believed, I do have a documented non-contagious respiratory condition for my time in the military. Even so, I've sacrificed my personal health repeatedly by wearing a mask. In fact," I was the first member of the legislature to wear a mask during legislative business. However, I will not sit by while a fellow member of the legislature is threatened with not being permitted to fulfill their constitutional duty to cast a vote in the legislature because they're not wearing a mask while doing so. There's no constitutional requirement to wear a mask or constitutional authority to prevent a fellow legislator from voting. There is a constitutional requirement that a legislature faithfully discharge their duties as a state legislator. Those duties obviously include the ability to vote. Um, <clears throat> Mustry goes on to talk about the outbreak of COVID that's currently going on uh, in the legislature was identified by Beacon, which is the company is contracted to do the testing. Beacon said that the spread is due to a large number of staffers attending Sham Jam, which is a fundraiser held locally there in Juneau at the Red Dog Saloon. Where proceeds are given to a local nonprofit, mostly Democrats attended the Sham Jam this year. One Republican in the building commented, quote, People are allowed to not wear masks in the halls, in offices, everywhere but on the floor. The majority wants to slow roll the budget to get extra days of per diem, so they'll make silly rules to blame Republicans for the budget not moving. So, I mean, it just sounds like business as usual down at the Capitol. I mean that's that's what it sounds like right now. I mean at this point, masks, no masks, everything. You're gonna you're gonna you are going to you are going to you are just gonna go ahead and uh, and and call the whole thing off because a few people aren't wearing masks. I mean they got plexi, they got this, they got all the stuff. I mean, but I mean, if you're not wearing a mask, then that's it for you. I don't know. I'm so over all. Of it. I'm just so over all of that stuff. So, um, so over it all. So that's the first story uh, for you to chew on this morning. You can think about that and uh, grind through that uh, a little bit. Um, The second story, uh, I alluded to this a minute ago. Kelly Chewbacca, who, of course, is challenging Lisa Murkowski, now has come out and said that according to her pollster, uh, which is Signal, is the name of her pollster, That she has a clear shot at winning uh, in the general, in the ranked choice voting in November. According to Signal, which by the way, Signal is a um, reputable firm that conducts um, many, many polls and it caters to Republican clients. The New York Times rated Signal as the number one most accurate polling firm in 2018. In the same year, the survey company 538 said Signal was one of the top polling firms And in 2020, Signal called the most races correctly of any Republican shop in the nation. So they've they've got a track record to back this up. This is not just some guy in his basement cooking the books and bringing it up. So according to Signal, Chewbacca carries 84% of the Republican vote and leads with both men and women. On the final ranked choice results, because they plugged it all into their thing and they came up with it, she will prevail by a 2% margin. Murkowski trounces, um, excuse me, Chevaka trounces Murkowski with both Trump Republicans and traditional Republicans, and that a strong majority of undecided voters have an unfavorable opinion of Murkowski. Um, that's, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Uh, they go through the whole thing with the jungle primary, how that works, how the rank choice voting system works, uh, and in everything else. Uh, basically, they broke it down and said, in all the scenarios tested, Signal says that Shabaka wins even after the ranked choice ballot goes through its machined cal, uh, uh, calculated redistribution of votes. They said part of the reason why is that, according to the pollsters, 87 percent of Alaskan Republicans hold an unfavorable view of Murkowski. Independence, uh, the independent voters, prefer a Republican be in the office by 13 percent. And that party intensity, I don't know exactly what party intensity is, but it sounds intense, is much stronger for the Republicans than Democrats. It's 86 to 58%. And this was based on a poll conducted uh, two weeks ago through phone, text, and email by Signal. So this is interesting. I mean, to me, this is an interesting uh, breakdown. And I'm sure that uh, Kelly Shibaka will... Uh, uh, Kelly Shabaka will talk about this uh, on Wednesday as well. But again, it doesn't mean that you go re- weary in well-doing. Um, I still think that Murkowski, even with all this discussion and everything else, I think Murkowski still has a favorable chance of winning simply because she's the business as usual and there's a lot of Democrats who are going to vote for her and everything else. Uh, it's going to be, well, it's going to be interesting. Let's just put it that way. It will be an interesting an interesting race, but um, you know it's it's uh, it's good to see at least some of the polling is showing that there are some positives and potentials in favor uh, of Shabaka when it's all said and done. Although again, you got to be a little cautious when you throw this kind of stuff out there, especially so early. You don't want people to get complacent. You don't want them to not show up at the voting booth. So. We'll see we'll see how that covers it here as we go through. Here's some interesting stuff. Um, the uh, the race for uh, the the race for the house seat uh, left vacant by Don Young is that's a that thing's about to get real, man. There are a bunch of folks. And we talked about Al Gross yesterday. Uh, it is confirmed now. he has campaign has basically said yes, he is going to file before Friday. So we're going to see Al Gross, uh, but yesterday, in a surprise move, John Coghill came out of the weeds and uh, and and signed up. John Coghill said that uh, after much prayer, I have decided that I can't not do it, because of course he knows better than you how you should live your life. Right? I mean, he he knows better than you how you should do. So he's filed already, although, and I didn't realize how old John Conkill was, Uh, although he is well-liked, he could be starting his congressional career a little late at the age of 75. Uh, He would not have a long runway to develop political seniority for Alaska. So maybe it's time to leave it to the younger fellows or ladies, as the case may be. Uh, In addition to Coghill and Gross, there have been a plethora of candidates, including Greg Brelsford, William Bill Hibbler III, Robert Bob Lyons, J.R. Myers, and Stephen Wright all have now signed up to to file for the special primary, along with Nick Baggage and Christopher Constant. And I got to say, Christopher Constant is probably not feeling great about the fact that that uh, Al Gross has jumped into the race. That's definitely going to siphon some uh, votes off of him. But I mean, where does it go? I, this is this is going to be interesting. I mean, you know, Doctor Bearkiller could be coming in, and he could be a real threat to Chris Constant. Does Coghill's name recognition help against baggage? Does his age hurt? I mean, I, I don't know. And boy. Wait till you see if Sarah Palin jumps in. I don't think it's going to happen, but if it did, imagine. Anyway, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Brad Keithley's up next.
0: Our light, our guide and our trusted friend.
2: Okay. Good morning, my pretties and your little dog too. How are you doing this morning? How, how are you doing this? morning? I mean, I can't even imagine. Can you imagine? Can you imagine John Coghill? Um, I'm, I'm just not, I mean, wow. John Coghill. We worked so hard to get rid of him the first time, and then we're going to put him back in. I mean, wouldn't that just be... mm, That feels, it feels painful. It just, it feels, hashtag feels bad, man. Eh, You know, feels bad, man. Um... All right, let me uh let me get Brad. Let me get Brad lined up first before we get before we get too far along here. Let me uh let me get Brad uh on the line here. And uh Oh Lord, too many, too many, too many windows here. What am I looking for? Here we go. This is the one I'm looking for, right? Oh, I gotta, Always gotta search for the shortcut. Here we go. Dun, da da dun. no yes weekly top 3 here we go look at that i got it i got it finally was able to pull the zoom link out of the ether i feel so good about that all right just launch it for the love of god all right here we go it's working it's working um, all right. So what are some of you, uh, what are you, some of you saying this morning? Voting for Coghill would be a desperate reach. Why vote for him to hold office at the federal level when he was fired at the state level? Well, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And then on top of that, you've got Al Gross who lost his run for Senate and then went back apparently to Petersburg and ran for the local hospital board and got, and couldn't win that either. Guy couldn't be dog catcher right now. Um, I guess. So uh, anyway, some interesting stuff. Looks like we were able to bring uh, Brad uh, onto the uh, onto the program. Uh, are you with us, Brad? Brad, are you there? I can see my microphone, but I don't hear Brad saying anything on his end. Brad, that's that's you, Brad. You. Okay, Brad's gonna figure it out here. Uh, we got about uh, three minutes here before. we're I can see his lips moving, but I can't hear him. All right, Brad's gonna work on it here for a second while we get that squared away. Hey, oh, there we go. There you go. There's
1: a there's another button I gotta
2: hit. Yeah, there's a button. This it's that mute button. That damn mute button every time. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you all ready this morning? You want to comment oh, yeah. on the fact that Coghill jumped back into the race real quick before we get to the top three?
1: I, I liked your long, not, not a long runway to developing seniority. That's a, that's a, you're going to have so much fun during this congressional cycle.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I can't take credit for those. That was right out of must read, but I mean, it's the truth. I forgot how old he is. He's 75 years old. I mean, it's not like he can build up any seniority in the next 10 years. Um, you know, you'd be lucky to, he'd be lucky to be out of the puppy pound by 10 years from now, if that's the case. Um, but I think it's, it, like I said, this is why I've been arguing for years that Don Young should have been, you know, grooming a, a successor, uh, or at least training up some of his aides or his interns to be able to at least have a potential to run this so that they understand the ins and outs of what's going on over there. But uh, <clears throat> too much ego in well,
1: that. So I suspect we're going to hear Josh Revac claim that the, that he learned at the knee of Don Young. I mean, Revac was a was a uh, was an aide for Young at one time before he came back to Alaska. And uh, well, both. I suspect we're going to. I suspect we're going to hear a lot of that. Both Revac
2: and Baggage had been promised apparently to be heir parents both of them <laughs> at one point
1: everybody's been promised, yeah, exactly, was promised That's exactly that's the again
2: point. that's the ego uh talking there i think so of uh, of don young uh doing what he did all right well hold the line brad we're going to jump back into it folks please like and share this video like and follow the show page let's uh, continue ahead here brad Keithley is our guest it is the michael duke show uh don't forget to hit, hit to uh, hit subscribe and ring the bell on youtube uh as well Let's do this thing. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. Continuing now with the weekly top three, Brad Keith Lee joins us via Zoom this morning. Zoom to talk about all the uh, to talk about all the things that are important. The uh, the three things we're going to dive into: the budget, the permanent fund investing, and uh, campaign contribution uh, you know campaign finance reform. Uh, those are going to be the big three things. But of course, the most burning question that we have this morning is, uh, Brad, where's your mask? Okay, because we really need to. We really need to all make sure that we have our masks on this morning, right? So that we're all safe, uh, Brad.
1: I, I I didn't realize the show had, evolved, had developed a, a remote mask policy. Yes,
2: we have a mask, man. It is my show, so everyone who's listening is wearing a mask right now. You should be wearing a mask. I don't have to because it's my show, but you have to to make it happen. <laughs> Me, who's... Uh, yeah, you know I don't want to mess up my mustache. Miles
1: so. miles away from anybody else. Yeah, right I know.
2: Now. I don't care if you're in a room all by yourself, Brad. It's the example that counts, okay? That's what I'm saying. Um, all right, well, before we get too far off on a tangent, let's talk about... Uh, well, let's talk about the weekly top 3. Uh number 1 is the budget. We went over this yesterday. Uh some kind of astonishing things coming out of this including this 532 million dollars proposed by Sarah Rasmussen. Uh now here we have monies that we're not obligated to pay all at once that we were paying at the statutory amount um that we were not paying any interest on that was just kind of we were paying you know we're 6 years away from payoff so to speak. And all of a sudden because there's a surplus, and apparently, according to the ADN, the fact that she understood that the PFDers were coming to the table, she wanted to get that money off the table. Sarah Rasmussen has proposed that we we just pay it all off now, even though we could hold on to that money, time spent, you know, investment, time on in return, all the other things you say from holding money. But instead, we're just going to
1: blurp it all out. That was one of the biggest shocks to me. You remember when uh, Scoop Jackson uh, was a senator from the state of Washington, and he was called uh, the senator from uh, from Boeing for yeah. all of the various uh, things he did along right. the, during his career to help uh, help promote Boeing. Right, uh, you know, being a, a a boy from Everett, Washington, you wanted to help the hometown company, but uh, he was called the senator from Boeing. I, I think I think Sarah may be on her way to being called the senator from oil. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that that was a shocker to to see her uh, to see her propose that.
2: No. And I guess that to blatantly admit in the article that, well, she understood that there was going to be permanent fund folks who wanted to come in. And if there was money left over, they want. So she wanted to take that money off the table so it couldn't be used for the permanent fund, which.
1: Wow. You know, it's a it's it, what what's really surprising is is the votes she some of the votes she got for that proposal. I mean, Kelly Merrick, okay, Kelly Merrick you can sort of understand. But Andy Josephson, Andy Josephson who claims to be who's my representative from the district I live in, who claims to be, you know, looking out for working Alaska families, who claims to be, you know, focused on uh, on uh, on keeping uh, working Alaska families uh, uh up and running, he voted for it. Uh, uh and and basically his his theory as i understand it his theory was well you know we're going to keep hearing about this anyway so might as well get it off the table and maybe we can go on to something else wait a I, second I, wait a second it's it's why can't you use that why can't you use
2: that uh that uh, philosophy for the pfd we keep hearing about it we should just get it down and get it off the table i mean right that's been an yeah. I- issue longer than the oil and gas tax credits sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but that just it fl- flays me
1: no, it's a, it's a, it's a odd, uh, it's an odd vote. I was surprised. I mean, I, there, there were, there's been various layers on the oil and gas tax credits. The administration proposed a certain amount, and then oil and gas tax credits are tied to oil revenues in any given year. So as oil prices have gone up, uh, there was, there was a a, a, a change in House finance to reflect the increased credits that are due this year as a result of oil prices going up. That I fully understand it, understood. But then for Sarah to take it the step beyond the senator or the representative from oil to take it a step beyond and say, oh, heck, let's just let's let's just throw all the money in the pot. That's just I, I I don't I can't explain that.
2: Right. I mean, we were fulfilling the statutory obligation. It seems like let's just keep doing that. And we have uses for that money, like IE paying the full PFD to begin with. Uh, or at least, you know, I guess paying back the CBR, there are many things that I would rather do than and just give it out when we could just pay it off at the statutory amount and have it done in the next five or six years. It just doesn't seem to make any sense to me.
1: There's there's one thing that I'm not clear about yet, and and this may explain part of it. Uh, they may not be paying it out this year. I, they could be, but they but they may be just putting that additional amount in the oil and gas credit fund. Uh, and have it there for for when it's due in future years. It's sort of it's another way of stuffing money into a fund and doing it for savings. They're doing that with the uh, with with forward funding. House House Finance is proposing to do that with forward funding K 12, <laughs> and that may be what they're doing with the with the oil and gas. Wait,
2: wait, you uh, mean uh, you mean they're dedicating funds? You mean they're saying that these funds can only be. Wait a second. I think that there's a little clause in the constitution that says, oh no, no, I'm sorry. They're designating the funds. So that makes it okay. Um, I mean, what?
1: Yeah. Well, in, in any event, it's, it's surprising to, uh, yeah, I was surprised, even I was surprised. I mean, somebody who's followed oil and gas for as many years as I have and, and, uh, and, and understand the ins and outs of that oil and gas credit fund. I, I was surprised that, uh, it was just sort of hey we got a bunch of money let's just let's just go ahead and just you know get it all out of here
2: all right that was the biggest surprise of course they want a forward fund education which again i, I don't know how you get around the whole dedicated funds thing but they're going to do it for 2 years 1.2 billion dollars Plus a fifty-seven million dollar bonus to schools, even though they're currently sitting on something like eight hundred million dollars in COVID money that they haven't spent yet. But they're oh, poor, 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 pitiful me. They get another fifty-seven million. The university gets a big uh, gets a big bump as well. Um, what else? Hey, there's just so many things that are in this bill. And of course, you know nothing about a PFD, nothing about the capital or anything else. This is a seven billion dollar budget. Over the four point three billion dollar budget from last year, and they still haven't even addressed the capital issues. I mean, wow. Yeah,
1: it's uh, it's it's really uh, uh, skyrocketing. It's I mean, the seven billion dollars is is pumped up by the forward funding. It's pumped up by the billion uh, two and forward funding. So when you take that out, uh, that number comes down a little bit, but it still comes down to you know five billion dollars. Against a, against a fairly steady 4.5 billion dollars that we had been uh, uh, running uh, running throughout. I mean, the governor's the Senate's been yet to has been yet to hear from heard from on on this issue. The House floor, I mean, there's going to be amendments on the House floor, although those those will probably <laughs> increase spending. Um, and and the governor's been yet to uh, to be heard from on the issue. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal. About Alaska a couple of days ago, and the governor was quoted as saying that he doesn't like uh, the forward funding, um, and, uh, and 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 indicated that uh, he may be inclined to veto that. So maybe that maybe that comes back out. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he uh, if he does if he doesn't like that and he vetoes it, What he does with the oil and gas tax credits, but, right? Uh, there's there's a lot of steps remaining, but House Finance has certainly set uh, has certainly uh, set the the incline, uh, on an, on an upward, uh, upward direction.
2: Well, again, even subtracting the 1.2 billion for forward funding, it still puts us at $5.8 billion. That's still a significant increase over last year. And it just shows, uh, I can't remember whose axiom it is or what law it is, but basically government will consume every available resource and then some, uh, if given the chance. And, uh, and that seems to be the, that seems to be the modus operandi here again, with no discussion, On paying a full PFD or fixing the PFD statute or doing any of that, just continuing to basically—I mean, they've talked; they got 199 and some of the other things, but there's no nothing that's really serious that's got a chance, I think, at this point of really passing or making a difference.
1: Yeah, they had they had a vote on a full PFD. I mean, that uh, 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 Neil Foster uh, uh, proposed an amendment that would have paid a full PFD. It got defeated seven to four. It, It was it was an odd vote. It got defeated seven to four, and then the and then the amendment to go to POMB 5050, the governor's proposal, got defeated 8-3. to three. Right. So somebody, somebody voted for, I haven't gone back to figure out who that was, but somebody voted for a full PFD, then voted against uh, POMB 5050.
2: Uh, I'm waiting for there to be, yesterday we had Kevin McCabe on the program, and he talked about the amendment process and everything else, and he said, yeah, there's going to be a lot of talk about a full PFD over the next few days. I mean, I would like to see a vote on, you know, I don't think it'll ever happen. It'll probably get procedurally killed, but I would love to see an amendment on the floor that basically said, here's your full PFD. I, you know, let's put that in and see what the actual votes on the floor is. I don't know how, you know, how strident the binding caucus is on the house side, but uh, it would sure would be nice to see those members get a chance to actually vote their conscience on it and then have to stick by their votes since we're coming into an election season.
1: Oh, I think we'll see. I think we'll see that amendment. I, I don't. I mean, we've seen it in in previous years, and what happens with that amendment is you pick up a couple, you pick up Neil, and you may pick up Garantar uh, from the from the House uh, uh, majority, but then you lose Bart LeBon, Steve Thompson uh, off of the House minority, and you sort of end up where uh, where you started by the time you by the time you wash that out. I mean, it'll be interesting just to to see it uh come up on the floor i don't think they can strike it down procedurally it'll be interesting to see it come up on the floor and where people land but you've got to understand you've got the you got the top 20 percent the the establishment the business republicans uh in the house minority caucus that uh, that will vote uh vote to cut the pfd have always voted to cut the pfd
2: give us your full give us your your final thoughts here on the budget as you watch it come out you know wh- what are you thinking as you look at this um and
1: what does it mean going forward well the trajectory's up i mean the the spending levels are up um and uh and house finance uh, sort of uh, set a bar uh for what they want to do we have not yet heard from uh bert uh over on senate finance side as you pointed out uh, we don't have a capital number yet um and i am certain that uh that bert's going to bert and others on the house finance or on the senate side are going to have their own peculiar little uh, niches that they want to uh want to put money in. So uh, we're a long way away from uh, the end of the process but house finance has set the trajectory uh as up uh and uh and up in up in significant ways uh uh in terms of as you as as you pointed out in terms of uh the oil and gas tax credits, uh additional university funding, additional K 12 funding, uh, uh various uh, savings accounts uh Uh, Starting to be uh, starting to be restuffed. I mean, they they appropriated money for um, uh, uh, the higher education fund uh, that had been swept uh, by the governor. They voted to put money back in that. And it's not only Michael, it's not only FY23 that's getting affected. They put two hundred and twenty million dollars, I think, in the supplemental for FY22. I mean right. that's that that's that's part of the trick. Right. Uh is is when you when you you know wanna keep wanna keep adding money in there, you do it not only in the in the next fiscal year that you're dealing with the budget on, you do it in the supplemental for the for the budget year you've got. And they put $220 million um uh, uh in the supplemental. So it's I mean, the trajectory's up. The question now is whether, you know, house add the house floor adds more to it um and uh, when it gets over to the senate how uh how Bert uh, uh treats it when it gets over there
2: all right um let's get a quick tease on number two uh which is the fact that shockingly enough you agree with something that was written <laughs> by the adn editorial board and it has to do with permanent fund investing
1: yeah i don't know what i don't know what it says when uh when the permit when the adn editorial board and i come out with a statements uh, uh in the same direction in the same week last week on the show i talked about uh, the uh, in-state investment policy of the permanent fund and my concerns about that and my my opposition to that uh over the weekend the adn editorial board came out with an op-ed that's virtually the same um uh they had a few more bells and whistles to it uh, but uh virtually uh virtually the same position so both of us are are uh, expressing concern about the about the in-state investment uh, uh, program that uh, the Permanent Fund has set up. We'll talk about that more uh, after the break. All right. Brad Keithley
2: is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're going to continue with him here in just a moment. The weekly top three continues. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking Radio.
0: It's the Michael Dukes Show. Boom, 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 boom. Why not take a quick break? Be right back. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
2: Okay. That's what happens when I need to push the right button and I didn't push the right button. Don't tell anybody. All right. Um, okay. Brad Keith Lee, our guest. Uh I saw a question Donna asked a question in the chat room. Does Brad know who owns the credits? Who owns the oil and gas tax credits now? I know that they did I know there was some horse swapping and trading some of the majors and some of the miners They swapped some stuff back and forth. Who actually owns the credits now? Do you know by any chance, Brad?
1: Largely finance companies. I mean, largely uh uh the all uh, companies that uh, that are entitled to them have traded them off to uh uh finance companies uh, uh, as in satisfaction of uh of debts that they had run up. So it's not, it's not so much the oil companies anymore. Um, There may be, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, I will try to go back into this because I'm a little curious about why Sarah was so insistent on it. Her ties are more to the oil and gas service industry uh, than they are directly to the oil and gas industry. And there may be some, there may, there, it may be that some oil and gas service companies are holding some of those uh, credits uh, in satisfaction for services that they render to the oil and gas companies but it's 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 not so much the oil and gas companies that that uh, uh develop them over the over the during the during the course of the program it's the finance companies that that uh that uh, uh, uh sort of have have helped them survive over the period uh that uh, that hold those credits now
2: um what is uh- I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm reading some of the. Uh, I'm reading some of the uh, chats here. Uh, it is funny. You were talking about the swapping of votes. You know, you'll get a Neil Foster and a Garantar Tarr come across on a full PFD vote, and I think it's almost like it, it. It feels. It feels so choreographed. Like the vote comes up, and they are like, "Well, we've got to show our constituents that we're involved here," so. You, you, and you, you vote yes, and we'll vote we'll vote no, so that we can cover our or backwards the other way around. We'll vote yes, and you vote no, so you can cover us, so we'll still have we can cover the spread. But we can go back to our constituencies and say, look, we voted for you. No, I mean, uh,
1: it, it, how much of that is just like full choreography? Uh, well, it it, it, it to a, to a large extent, but the real the real dancer in that choreography is Sarah Rasmussen. I mean, she will she will vote. She, she will count heads and vote for the PFD if the PFD is going to lose. I mean, it's sort of like L.B. Gray Jackson does over in the Senate, right? right? I'm for the PFD, I'm for the PFD, I'm for the PFD. Oops, my vote counts. Not up against the PFD. Right, right. Um, yeah, and, we saw that Sarah last sort year. Of that yeah. way. In fact, I think Sarah may have voted for uh, the full PFD in House Finance that will give her a talking point uh uh in in her campaign this year i mean in, in prior years she voted against it but she may have she may have counted a vote so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of choreography that that uh that goes on um and uh and 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 we'll see uh we'll see that on the floor i you know i it, it's not uh, thompson and laban they're they're not choreo they're, they're not choreographed on this i mean they're going to vote. They're going to vote against it. They've, they've, against the full PFD. They've always done that. They've said they're going to do it. They're going to follow through with it. Uh, But Sarah is the one that, uh, that dances around a little bit.
2: It, it is, uh, it is, uh, uh, interesting to watch. Spending is up. No, really? Yeah. Uh, and that's it. You know, I think you hit on the thing. My, one of my favorite things to point out every year and has been for the last 20 years, once I started figuring out the machinations, was always the supplemental budget right? Because they'll always go back. And of course, if they reference spending that year, so let's go back three years and spending that year was, you know, pick a number, $4.5 billion, $4.6 billion. Nobody ever references the supplemental budget that comes out six, eight months later near the end of the year that says, oh, we got to stuff another two or $300 million into there. That's never factored in because all they do is they, here's what the budget that was passed, not what was actually spent and i think that is the that is the shell game that gets me every time look at our look at our spending trend we've done so well 4 4.1 4.3 when it's really 4.5 4.8 5.1 because they're coming back later and and they're supplementing it at the end and nobody really pays attention to the supplemental budgets at the end. I mean, nobody's really, you know, no newspaper is focusing on, well, this is what they passed, but then they had to increase it by five or six percent in the supplemental budget at the end of the year. It's just, it's astonishing to me that nobody catches that.
1: Yeah, usually there's a there's about a $50 million supplemental. So when you do projections of where your budget's gonna go, you usually add about $50 million to uh to to that budget to account for uh uh to account for the supplemental and uh but this year it's 200 and some odd million dollars so you know that uh the, the proposal coming out of house finance at least is 200 and some odd million dollars so you know there's there's some stuffing going on in there and you're exactly right I mean it's a great place to stuff it because everybody focuses on the next fiscal year uh they're looking at all of the bells and whistles that got added to the next fiscal year uh and you just sort of you know just stuff just stuff a little bit in that in that in that back one and um uh, and, and people don't pay attention to it. I'm I'm a little surprised, I guess. I mean, I went yeah. to the supplement we, first because I wondered what they were doing. Right. Hold on, Brad. We're going to jump back into it.
2: The Michael Duke Show. Please like and share this video. Like and follow the show page. Hit subscribe. Ring the bell on YouTube. Let's get to it. Here we go. All right. Continuing now with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the weekly top three. We're coming in to talk about uh, the PFD, or excuse me, the permanent fund investment and the fact that Brad and the ADN editorial board seem to be sharing a brain for a week or so, uh, which is a little terrifying to think about. Brad, what uh, what's going on here?
1: Well, the, the editorial is entitled the Alaska Permanent Fund's Investment Mistake. And if you haven't read it, it's worth, uh, for those interested uh, in this issue, it's certainly worth going back. It is a, it is a soup to nuts uh, 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 takedown of the Permanent Fund Corp's uh, Alaska-specific uh, investment policy or allocated Alaska investment policy, um, and raises all of the issues, the issues that I've been concerned about, which is favoritism to some Alaska industries over others, the concern you raised on last week's show, which is, you know, what do you? What happens if we have a one of these investments that they've made, uh, or uh, an investment they haven't made yet, but we start losing a lot of uh, a lot of employees, the business gets in trouble? Uh, can can the investment fund really disengage from that business, or, you know, is there a lot of pressure for the for the for the investment fund to to go in and help support that business? Um, and so it's a uh, it's a it's a great uh, editorial for for raising issues. It also did something something that I hadn't seen before. It also sort of brought uh, one issue out of the woodwork uh, that, uh, that some are using to, to defend the permanent fund uh, corporation's uh, policy. And basically that defense is, look, we don't have um, a lot of capital in Alaska. Uh, the defense is we don't have a lot of capital in Alaska. We don't have a lot of capital expertise Alaska we don't have a lot of venture capital firms we don't have a lot of venture capital here and so what and and so the defense of this policy is what we're really doing with that policy in part what we're really doing with this policy is we're building up venture capital expertise and we're benching and we're building up venture capital to be used uh, for Alaska industries and isn't that good uh the defense goes isn't that good that we're that we're injecting uh, this new capital and uh, we're attracting this new expertise to Alaska. Well, that's I mean that that's that proves the issue that I'm concerned about, which is we're using this money to to pick winners and losers and to build up an Alaska industry that otherwise isn't being built up uh, through the through the private sector. There's not a sense of a of a need for it um, in the private sector. Right. So, I mean, even the defense, the best defense that I've seen thus far for why this policy is a is good policy uh, from the standpoint of the Alaska proves, proves the point that I'm concerned about, proves the point that, that the ADN and others are concerned about. We are creating artificially, we are using the permanent fund to create artificially uh, 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 business investment and business activity uh, in Alaska that the private sector otherwise doesn't think uh, is needed. In Alaska, and and we're and we're propping that up, or we're supporting it, or we're creating it uh, through the use of uh, of permanent fund assets. I just I just think this whole you know dedicated to Alaska sector uh, uh, policy that the permanent fund is, has adopted is is going in the wrong direction, uh, and I just think it sends us down a road that uh, has no good uh, endings at it. it. You know, even yeah. if even if at the end of the road. What it does is produce a return that is, in fact, commensurate with the returns we could have gotten uh, elsewhere. We've run a bunch of risks going down that road that at some point uh, will go bad on us. Uh, And all we've done is we've gotten returns that are commensurate with what we could have done by not going down that road in the first place. So I just don't I just don't I don't see any justification for this. And as I say, even the justification that's come out of the woodwork because of the ADN uh, editorial, I don't think uh, uh, has uh, has any validity.
2: No, and and again, I think it, it hits on the key point of what you were just talking about, which is government interventional in, in intervention in the free marketplace. If there was a demand for that, private business would step up, and private investors would step up and do it. The only reason they're doing it is because it's free government money, right? And then, of course, it takes more free government money to prop it up, and uh, and that goes that goes on and on and on. And it may develop a return in the end, but at what risk and at what cost? When the money could be put in something else that is more solid, more stable and uh and doesn't i guess monkey with the with the free market at that point
1: right and, and we just and, and and it creates all sorts of of needs to to keep track of what it's doing to put governors on what it's doing to you know to, to to keep an eye on what it's doing that we don't need when the when the investment's being made elsewhere yes there is a risk for conflict of interest yes you know you could invest in a in a corporation in new york who which is run by the brother-in-law, the guy doing the investing. Yes, there's the risk of that, but the risk of that is is a lot lower and a lot easier to look to, to look after than the risk of you know the shenanigans that could go on in Alaska uh, with uh, the brother-in-laws are a lot closer uh, uh, in in Alaska uh, with uh, with those sorts of investments and those sorts of policies. So it's um, it, it's I, I, I as I say the one justification that I've heard now for why this is a good thing still doesn't uh, sell it to me. It's just another, uh, it, it's sort of a, sort of the argument is our industry is better. Um, you know, the, 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 venture capital industry is better. It's important. And so you ought to favor us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about these other things. You ought to favor us. So it's just, I'm, it, it's picking winners and losers.
2: Which again, government picking winners and losers, they don't really have a great track record on that. Let's just put it, let's just put it that way. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's take a look uh, then at number three. Again, you can go out and read the article. I posted it up in the chat room for the opinion piece from the ADN editorial board. Um, I don't know if anybody outside of is outside of this is listening to that, but they should be paying attention to it for sure. Um, all right, but let's talk about the third big one, which is that the Senate, state Senate, should be paying attention to campaign finance reform uh, and campaign finance laws which the House is, has been paying attention to. If you remember earlier on, APOC basically lifted all limits for contributions on candidates in an effort to conform with, this, with the uh, court ruling uh, and left it to the, to the legislature basically to take care of. The House has taken it up, but the Senate so far doesn't seem interested at this point. Brad?
1: Yeah, and that's and that's troublesome to me. I mean, I understand. So the House passed uh, a campaign reform uh, reform uh, bill That would that would put limits on contributions in state races, state and local races, would would expand uh, uh, the disclosure requirements, sort of reinstate the system we had uh, before the Ninth Circuit started uh, started monkeying with it, Um, and it passed the passed the House with significant Republican opposition, Uh, and I understand the Republicans had concerns with it, had concerns with that bill, but I don't think anybody should have concerns with with putting limits on. Uh, uh campaign uh uh donations. I mean we have a top 20% problem in this state already that shows up uh with uh with the permanent fund and shows up with things like uh with the permanent fund corporations uh investment uh policy. We have we have a money influence problem in this uh state already and 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 I think it I think it's foolish uh of of any party either party to uh, uh, to not want to put limits back on uh, limits back on uh, uh, campaign uh, donations, I, I I don't know why the re- I, I mean, as you and I have discussed on the show a lot, Alaska is a cheap date uh, for outside money and for and for campaign donations, and I don't think that Republicans should feel that they're that they're somehow insulated from that that they'll be the winners. Of uh, of outside big money uh, uh, coming into uh, to campaigns, uh, and that and that it will work to their advantage somehow. It, I mean, we saw with ballot measure two, uh, with the uh, uh, with the rank choice voting, we saw the influence of of big money uh, coming into this state. We saw with ballot measure one with the, with the oil money uh, that came into the state. The influence that big money can have. Uh, on elections in this, in this dark, state. we've money. sort of been insulated from that dark money, dark money. Uh, yeah. We've sort of been <laughs> insulated from that uh, with legislative races because of the campaign limits. But now if we're going to take those off, uh, we're going to see it pop up in those as well. And yeah. it doesn't necessarily work to the Republicans advantage. No, so, it's not. Uh, the de- the Democrats saw the problem in the house. I think the Republicans ought to see the problem. In the Senate. if they want to make changes to the, to the house bill, have at it. But, but we should end up with campaign limits, with campaign donation limits uh, at the end of this legislative session.
2: Uh, ballot measure two, about $7 million was spent on the pro side. With, uh, with the ballot measure one, the oil and gas tax, it was just over, I think, $5 million was spent. So, again, overall, not a whole lot of money in the grand scheme of things, especially for outside interest groups who've got deep, deep pockets. Uh, a few million dollars to sway a whole state seems like a pretty good investment when it's all said and done. Uh, Brad Keithley, uh, Alaska's for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, thanks for coming on board.
1: Michael, as always, thanks for having me.
2: All right, folks, we are out of time for this hour. we got more coming up. Hour 2 dead ahead. Chris Story will be joining us. We'll take some phone calls after the top of the hour. Uh, during the uh, top here, we'll talk with Brad a bit in the break, and then we'll come back with your phone calls. Hour 2 dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Well, and it's it's getting pretty obvious, Brad. To me, you can look at simply simply look at what's going on. For example, in the Anchorage Assembly races, you're seeing amounts of money in there that you would never have seen in the past. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in a local race for a local, essentially city council. I mean, it's a borough assembly or muni assembly, but I mean, you're seeing hundreds of thousands of dollars, and of course, gubernatorial races now rail, running into the millions and millions of dollars. If they take the cap off that, and again, it only took five million to get ballot measure one passed, and it only took seven million to get ballot measure number two passed, which is a drop in the bucket for many of these, you know, uh legal and political groups out there and PACs and everything else, it doesn't take much uh with the number of people we have in this state.
1: Yeah, exactly right, Michael. I mean, people argue that, well, citizens citizens united is the is the core of the problem as long as it exists, you know. PACs can have unlimited amounts of money and they can spend that in state races. So what's, a, what's the problem with giving it to to individual candidates? Well, the problem is that that it influences individual candidates getting those money, that that money for themselves influences them. I think uh, in my experience, a lot more uh, than a PAC supporting them. If you've got somebody who's sent you a check for a hundred thousand uh, dollars in your campaign and you've received that and you've put that into your campaign uh, your campaign, you're going to listen to that person a lot more, uh, frankly, going forward. That person a lot more than you're going to listen to the pack that happened to, uh, happened to support you in that campaign. Yes, you're going to take the PAC's phone calls, but you're not you're not going to have the same connection to that, to that money, to the to the source of that money that you do if uh, if you get it directly uh, into your campaign. Plus, PACs can't coordinate with campaigns uh, if they're if they're engaged in in, uh, uh, in independent expenditure. PACs can't coordinate with campaigns and 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 I think that layer is another layer of protection against whatever the PACs doing uh later influencing the can, candidate uh if if somebody gives you a check for $100,000 uh in your individual legislative campaign your gubernatorial campaign and you can spend that yourself uh it, it creates a, a lot closer connection uh with the with the source of the funds so it's there it, the fact that PACs can do it I don't think is is a is a is a defense to why we shouldn't have uh, limits on uh, on state funding uh, uh, as well? Are you? I, you know, the governor said that that he's in favor of unlimited funds. I I think that's a strike against the governor, uh, not not in favor of the com- governor. Is he concerned he can't raise funds from from individual Alaskans? Does he need unlimited funds in order to you know be able to depend on one or two donors to be able to run his campaign? I, th- I think that says bad things about the governor that he's saying that.
2: What do you think about Shregi's proposal for the two thousand dollar limit with an adjustment for inflation? I think every five or ten years. I think it's ten years actually. Uh, what what is your what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I, that that individual component, I'm not I'm not tied to. I mean, I'd I'd be fine with another number. I'd be fine with adjusting for inflation uh, at a, at a at a more rapid rate. To me, the important thing is to have limits to not allow. I mean if if the, if the difference is between 2000 on on, a, on an election basis adjusted for inflation and 2500 or 3000 or 3500 I'm not going to I'm not going to you know uh, uh, go to war over that but the difference is between 2000 or 3 or 2500 or 3000 and 100,000 that's a huge difference right right uh, and and that to me is what we're talking about here we're not talking we shouldn't be we shouldn't get caught up and let this whole thing drop because of a dispute about whether it ought to be 2,000 or 2,500 or 3,000 or 35, we shouldn't, we shouldn't let that be the 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 thing that kills protecting against the hundred thousand dollar donation.
2: Good points. Um, I'm going to ask you to pivot quickly here. Cause Sean brings up something that I don't think you and I have talked about yet. Uh, there's been a, a bulk email release from the permanent fund uh, corp and uh it shows extensive political consultation and personal connections and alliances between von Imhoff and Angela Rodell. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Here, I got about less than two minutes, but can you give me a quick synopsis of your thoughts on that?
1: Well, it probably it reflects it reflects the friendship they had and it reflects the alliance they had. I mean, uh, Natasha was uh, was opposed to to PFDs. Angela was uh, the facing court. Uh, for the Permanent Fund Corporation uh, uh, during the Milakowski challenge to uh, uh, to uh, uh, Governor Walker's uh, veto, uh, I think Angela uh, has had the personal problems with uh, personal issues with uh, the PFDs uh, as well, and so that, that alliance with imhoff uh, doesn't uh, doesn't surprise me. I mean, I yeah, there are a lot of reasons to have been concerned about Angela. That is the fact that she talked to natasha uh, is is a very small one to me
2: but doesn't it reflect back now on this witch hunt investigation that natasha is spearheading in uh in uh in the committee where she's getting the subpoenas and everything else i mean doesn't it prove more the politicization of this than anything else in your mind
0: yeah uh
1: uh probably so but but i think he- I think alaskans deserve yes um, we're, we're gonna we're gonna figure out who did my friend did yes it did sort of sort of explain right. that. but i think alaskans deserve an answer to to why angela was fired uh in any event again i'm not the biggest defender of angela i think she went too far in uh in arguing against uh, uh pfd cuts so she she will claim she never did that but i think she did um and uh i i think there were a lot of reasons to be concerned about angela uh, but I think I think we need to understand why the Permanent Fund Corporation uh, uh, terminated her. I think I think Alaskans deserve uh, an answer to that. Uh, just like you know, if if uh, if if the governor fired a, a secretary or a commissioner of natural resources, which uh, uh, some commissioners, which some governors have done, right. I think Alaskans deserve an answer to why we're doing that because it's a big part of our it's a big part of our uh, government. Right. And the Permanent Fund Corporation is similarly a big part of our government.
2: Brad, thank you so much for coming on board. As always, it's a pleasure to speak with you. We appreciate it, my friend.
1: Michael, as always, thanks for having me.
2: Folks, uh, we're jumping back into it here. The Michael Duke Show continues. We've got uh, more coming up. Uh, Brad Keithley, our guest. Uh, Chris Story coming up right here. Don't go anywhere.
0: The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh,
2: baby, across the world, around, across the world on the interwebs at michaeldukeshow.com and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or translator. It is The Michael Dukes Show, broadcasting live, as always. Don't forget, you can always, of course, Pick us up on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch TV as well with a simulcast every morning. And of course, don't forget, podcasts, podcasts are available every morning uh, right after the show. And you can subscribe on your favorite podcast device um, uh, or podcast program, CastBox, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you find it. It'll come in there. Um, All right. So hour two of the program, we're just finishing up. Brad Keithley uh, was with us here, and uh, he laid out some interesting things. And I'm going to open up the phone lines for this segment. If you would like to uh, sound off on anything that Brad was bringing up, and if you've got some quibbles or Things that you would like to take issue with. We'd love to hear you this morning. Here's the phone number. Uh 907 433 3150 907 433 3150 The Pivotel. Call in line. Uh, and that is uh, powered by our friends at Pivotel and Satellite West. Um, I would love to uh, I'd love to love to hear from you this morning. Here As we get ready to do it Chris Story, the man from Homer Will be joining us in the second segment of the program here About uh, 15 minutes from now And he'll be sharing with us uh, some life tips Some positivity Some PMA And uh, uh, life-affirming stuff That's all coming up here in uh, just a few moments But since I just mentioned uh, Satellite West uh, As the sponsors of the program And we want to say thank you to them for sponsoring the program because hey they help uh they help me come in here they put cream in my coffee every morning and uh make this whole thing worth it we want to say thank you to them and to the newest sponsors from Satellite West the bivvy stick now you're like what the heck is a bivvy stick b i v y like bivouac the bivvy stick what is it Well, um, it's a fancy little doodad that connects to your phone and basically turns your regular cell phone into a satellite communications device. It's that easy. It's about half the size of your cell phone. You tether it with Bluetooth. You download the app. And now, all of a sudden, you can send text messages. You can send emails to your friends, your loved ones, your families. No matter where you are in the world, it doesn't, doesn't matter where you are, you can send a text or an email to anyone. In addition to that, it has uh, the mapping feature in it. Obviously, it's got all the maps from wherever you are around the world, and it allows you to drop a pin or ping them to tell people I am here. Right. So if you are a uh, you know a hiker, a biker, snow machiner, world traveler, jungle explorer, archaeologist in search of the holy grail or the or the ark of the covenant. You could use this bivvy stick to be able to tell people, hey, I'm okay, because it's got a little check-in button that when you mash it, it sends a pre, pre-done message, that which says whatever you want it to say. But basically, it's like, hey, I'm okay, and here's where I am, dropping a pin. And it's also got the little red emergency button. You little flip the thing back, and you push the button, and it says, ow, <laughs> come help me. I'm here, right? I'm hurt. I've fallen. I can't get up, whatever, and it drops your exact location down to whatever it is, three meters accuracy. This is probably one of the best little devices for that, For you know, prepare for the worst and hope for the best kind of scenarios. Whether it's disaster or accident uh, in the urban areas, like, I mean, like if you have the earthquake or whatever, and I want to tell my wife, hey, I survived the great quake of 2018 or 2025 or whatever it is. Um, Or if cell towers go down, if there's a lot of cellular congestion, everybody's trying to call each other all at the same time, it doesn't matter. I can bypass all that and push a button and say, hey, I'm okay, and this is where I'm at. Or I can actually send a text message with more details and my location. If I'm hunting or fishing or flying or boating or or training or whatever I'm doing, I can set it to drop pins every 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 8 minutes, 2 minutes, however many minutes I want it apart. I can have them drop, and so they can follow my progress wherever they go. Uh, it's only $199 uh, with no activation fees. Plans as low as $14 bucks a month. That's for the minimum what I like to call the safety plan. I got one for my wife so she can put it in her glove box. And then on 14 bucks a month, if she doesn't use it, which she probably won't ever unless there's an emergency, then those minutes will roll or those credits will roll over. And uh, she'll have a big bulk of credits to use whenever we need to. And at that point, I that doesn't matter. It's cheap insurance: one hundred and ninety nine bucks a month and fourteen bucks, or one hundred ninety nine bucks for the unit at fourteen bucks a month. That's cheap insurance, as far as I'm concerned. So it doesn't matter if you are, you know, if you have a car or boat or an ATV or plane, a snow machine, a train, a submarine. Doesn't matter what it is. You should have one of these on board because it will give you that peace of mind, and more importantly, your loved ones. The peace of mind of uh, knowing that they can find you or reach out to you at any time. Because if it's connected, they can send messages back to you from wherever they're at to wherever you are. Um, so check out the check out the bivvy stick. Go to satellitewest.com, get the details. Or you can go actually put one in your hands, hands-on. You can go down to Homer at uh, South Central Radar on the Spit. Uh, Safe and Sound in Wasilla or Safe and Sound in Soldotna or Safe and Sound in Anchorage. You can go to Radar Alaska in Kodiak, Communications North in Seward, uh, Lundy Marine Electronics in Dutch Harbor or up in Fairbanks. You can go by your local Arctic Fire and Safety and see the crew there. And they will put one in your hands that you can check out. Again, only $199. I mean, duh, it's cheap to turn your cell phone into that magical, mystical satellite communications device. Thank you to Bivy Stick and to uh, Satellite West for sponsoring the program. Okay, <clears throat> phone line to call if you want to dial into the Pivotel call-in line this morning is at 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. Chris Story will be joining us in a few moments, but let me go back to what we were just talking about before uh, Brad Keithley, which is the... Twenty twenty two special congressional race. And I guess one of the people that I didn't mention in the story uh, was uh, one I mentioned the other day, which was Josh Revac. Right. So Josh Revac is being rumored right now. Uh, Josh Revac is being rumored by, I guess, um, the landmine or being reported by the landmine that he's in like Flynn. He's already going to run. And so you got Josh Revac, and now John Coghill, and Nick Baggage the third. Those will be the three big Republican names. And now you've got Chris Constance, and now you've got Al Gross who wants to run. Yesterday I mentioned the. Uh, uh, yesterday I mentioned the gentleman from. Uh, uh, he's the gardening. He's the gardening reporter, on the uh, on the ADN. He is the uh he he's a potential as well. And i I apologize, I've forgotten his name uh right this hot second. Um but yeah, he's he's also Andrew Halcrow, Tara Sweeney, um what's this guy's name? Oh, Chris Tuck is is talked about as well. Um uh, uh Jeff Lowenfels is the uh, is the writer for the ADN. And then of course Sarah Palin. These are these are all people that have been that have talked about it one way or the other. But we know for sure that John Coghill and Al Gross are going to be running. We know that Constance and uh, Begich are going to be in there. This is going to be a real test of that first jungle primary, which, of course, you'll remember now, is a full mail-in primary. There is going to be no in-person. There's going to be no regular. Which immediately is going to send a lot of people up into a tailspin because, oh, that's how they manipulate it, and that's how they stole the election, and that's how... I, I Look, I agree. I have, I have some concerns. I don't agree with all of what you're saying, but I have some concerns about all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, that's why when I get my ballots for the jungle primary, I will be collecting all the ballots in my house at once, and I will be walking them down to the office. Now... That doesn't allay all my concerns obviously because it has to get into the secure ballot location to be counted and everything else but it's better than dropping it in my mailbox. it's uh it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy uh, Rob Myers just said in the chat room you heard it here first I'm not running for Congress. I did have to say I scratched my head for a second when I read one of the names and I thought is that J-? no that's J.R. Myers, not Rob Myers so J.R. Myers Steven Wright, Robert Bob Lyons, Bill Hibbler III, Greg Brez, Brelsford, Brelsford. Those are all people who have already filed for the special primary, plus everybody else that I just mentioned. I mean, there's, what is that, 15 names right there, 14, 15 names right off the top? The It's the bear doctor. You know what I think is most interesting in this is watching what's happening with the Democratic candidates. Because I think with the entry of Dr. Al Gross, as much as we may mock him, and as much as we may think that he, you know, I mean, he's not a great candidate, he's got the name recognition over Chris Constance. I mean, Chris Constance has got to be kind of gnashing his teeth a little bit here, because he may not even he may not even make the uh, the top four in the jungle primary, not with Josh Revac and Begage and Coghill in there. Uh, and and if Palin jumps in on top of it, and then if Chris Tuck gets in, I mean, I, I just, I just don't see. I mean, uh, Al Gross spent whatever he spent. What did he spend on? Uh, I think it was Mustrey that had the uh, had the total amount. I was uh, I was a little uh, uh, giggly about this. Uh, Al Gross spent um, uh, nineteen million dollars. Nineteen million dollars in uh, 2020 and then had the Lincoln Project, another independent PAC, spend tens of millions of dollars more, he got 146,000 Alaskan votes, which puts him definitely as a strong contender for the final four in a a primary. Because, you know, the Democrats got to vote for somebody, right? So do they vote for Al Gross, the name they know, or do they vote for Chris Constant, who's only known really around the Anchorage area? This is... um, yeah, it's it's going to be, it's going to be, and then if you, again, if you drop Chris Tuck into the middle of that, ooh, baby, ooh, baby. So, yeah, I mean, th- things are about to get real around here. It's going to be super interesting. I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, but we'll be watching from the sidelines with the popcorn. I guarantee you, big buttered popcorn with a little bit of Johnny season salt on it because that's the best way to eat it. But that's how we'll be watching it uh, as we go forward. Okay. Um, we got more coming up. Chris Story is going to join us here in a minute. And uh, we will we'll keep, we'll keep moving on. Maybe we'll take some more calls here at the end of the show. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. You're home for Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio the michael duke show back with more right after this
0: Regularly heard on American radio.
2: Okay. What does it cost a human to add their name to the ballot? I don't know. Probably a couple hundred bucks. Probably. I don't know. I've never looked into it. I've never cared enough to look into it. But I imagine it's probably, probably a couple hundred dollars, something like that. Uh, Jimmy says he's got a good sized tax return coming. I'll have an extra hundred and fifty, hundred to hundred fifty to two hundred dollars for entry fees. Gail says perhaps we should list who isn't running. I mean that might be easier at this point. I mean this will be the first jungle primary, and we've got until Friday. So well let's let's count the let's count the names, shall we? So we got John Coghill and uh, Al Gross. That's two. That's two. Who's going to be there? Uh, then we've got uh, Constance and Beggage, That's four. Bressler is five. Lyons is six. Myers is seven. Wright is eight. Right, and then we've got the potential of Tuck would make nine. Palin would make ten. Um, Revac would make 11 and Lowensfeld would make 12. Who else was, who else were they talking about there? Oh, Halcrow would make 13. Did I add Revac already? I think I did 14. Let me see. So here we got 13 or 14 potentials coming in for this race already. And the week's not even, I mean, the week is the, is the end at this point. So it should be a uh it, sh- it should be an interesting re- I mean you know the guy that I think is really the most ambitious at this point is Hal Crow. I mean who god love him I mean he does a political blog he does a political blog for the uh for the ADN podcast I'm sorry not a political blog but a political podcast for the ADN. Um but I mean who's listening to it? Who's yeah so I think that's that's a little ambitious of him. And as I said before, I think Palin is basically just flirting with the idea to make sure that she gets her name in the news. I don't think she really has an interest in running for anything like that. Do you? I mean, I don't think so. But uh, anyway, so potentially, oh, Tara Sweeney, I forgot, or not, uh, um, yeah, is that right? Yeah, Tara Sweeney. Uh, so she is also, so that would be 14. 14. Oof! Oof! Oh man! Um, so I guess we'll see. Um, we'll uh, we'll 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 see what happens. We'll see what happens with that. But fourteen potential candidates. Whew. I can't wait to see how that shows up. Uh, Dwayne in the chat room just said. First I've ever heard of it, an ADN podcast, bet that's a circus. Well, it's run by Andrew Halcrow. Speaking of the ringleader of the circus, yeah, I mean. I mean, Halkrow has had some good ideas over the years, but he's gotten, you know, over the last, I would say probably over the last five years, he's gotten weird. I mean, he really has. He ran in 2000, 2006, I think, that Halcrow ran for uh, governor as an independent uh, or did he run? Yeah, he ran for governor as an independent, and he seemed pretty straightforward at that point. But then, like, I talked to him about ten years later, and he was like, "No, the guy was wackadoo, wackadoo." All right, maxing out at twenty? No, there is no maximum, Heather. That's what it is. It is what it is. Uh, when and how do we overturn our ranked choice voting again? Asking for for well, the legislature can change it at any time or you can raise five or six million dollars and do another ballot measure that repeals it that's pretty much what it's going to take i think right now all right chris story the man from homer joins us on the line hello my friend how are you chris oh boy chris are you there Okay, so we'll hang up, and hopefully Chris will call back here in just a hot second, and we'll actually be able to hear him. We'll see what uh, we'll see what goes on here. Uh, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, uh, Free Thinking Radio. Uh, don't forget to share the show, like this video, and uh, we'll see what uh, Chris has to say. Are you there, Chris? No, Chris is. Are you there? Something's going on with Chris's phone. Try another phone. Here we go. welcome back to the program continuing uh, now with our guru of positivity the life coach extraordinaire the man the myth the legend in his own mind Uh, it is my friend the one the only chris story are you with us chris can you actually hear us now no, I can hear Chris. Or you, apparently, Chris can hear us, but uh, we can't. We can't hear him. Um, I'm going to try and call. I guess I'm going to try and call Chris back. That's uh, that's weird. I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the challenge is, but uh, we're going to try and uh, get a hold of Chris here, and we will uh, try this out uh, right now live on the air because we are radio professionals and we can make all this happen. And so we'll, uh, we'll reach out to Chris and see if we can get him on the phone real quick and start our weekly life coaching lesson. And uh, we'll start off with Chris Story. Are you there, Chris? I'm doing fine. How are you doing?
3: Good morning, Michael.
2: Good morning. Hello, my friend. Michael Dukes. How are you doing this morning?
3: Doing well. I'm doing well. I, are we having a little technical difficulty? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we still go to prom.
2: You could hear me, and uh, or you could hear the music and every, I just apparently you couldn't hear me, so that's fine. Hey, good morning, my friend. How are How are you doing? All technical difficulties aside, uh, what's going on? What's happening in your world?
3: Everything's good. I got to tell you, it's been a. I It's funny because I, uh, for my my own program. Later today, I was going to be quoting Will Smith, something I'd read in Success Magazine a few months ago that he had said. And now, of course, I have to second guess. Do I? Because I don't want to engage in pop culture. You know that. But I might have to quote him anyway. But today, I wanted to talk to you about Jim Rohn's seven bebots of leadership. So we can we can go wherever you want to, Michael. I'm putting in your hands.
2: Did you just say seven bebops of leadership? Bebots. B butts, okay, because I'm like bebops. Really? I mean, the bebops. I like b is... butts of leadership, and I cannot lie. That's right. Some other brothers can deny, but not us. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, Jim. I don't know. Is that okay? It's yeah, but butts. We said butts. I I fish for halibuts all the time. It's fine. It'll be great. Um, all right. Well, good. I mean, you're here to you're here to coach us, coach. So Jim Rohn's seven b butts of life.
3: Leadership. Yeah. And leadership is on my mind a lot. Um, The more I watch the leaders of our free world nationally and and internationally, I just think we can't focus enough on leadership in our own life because I think we've ceded the ground of leadership to those elected, those in authority with uh, their positions at at your place of work or in life or, again, elected uh, leaders are kind of what I think we've ceded too much ground to them. And I think it's important to focus on leadership in our own life and what we can do relative to the leadership that we have, the ability we have to lead right where we are with what we've got. So I've been reading a lot of Jim Rohn lately. He was a business philosopher, but also a philosopher of life and self-improvement and self-interest and self-governance of your own life. And probably one of the the strongest voices of personal responsibility that, that ever crisscrossed the country. Teaching and, and speaking. And so he came up with these seven, I call them B butts. He called them seven principles of leadership, but you'll understand why I'm calling them B buts which I think is just going to stick in your mind like a piece of chewing gum when you hear them. So the first B but <laughs> of leadership is be strong but not rude. And I think that this age of toxic masculinity, and I'm using air quotes that you can't see. Or this concept that that somebody is um, just rude because they're they're they have strength, inner strength, and confidence in themselves. Now that c- that can be confused sometimes with being rude, and I think it's it's something that we should all embrace in our own life is that we can be strong in knowing our position, and that doesn't mean we have to be rude. And I think the solution to that is to literally state your position and then listen. Be willing to listen to somebody else, but state your position and know your ground.
2: Is that the difference between confidence and arrogance?
3: It gets confused. It gets confusing. I think knowing the language and knowing where you're coming from strength is in, I think a reserve. I'm not coming out with all guns blazing, but there is strength in knowing what you're talking about. And if you don't, then it's okay, and I don't think it's a sign of weakness to, to admit. I don't know, but I, I'm going to be strong in that position that I have principles that I'm going to adhere to in my life, but I'm not going to be rude about it. Right. I think there's a difference between the two, and I think listening is that key difference. Um, I really do. I was approached by a, a liberal acquaintance the other day who said to me that um, he really appreciated um, my radio program because he said, you know— I don't think we get everything when we only listen to the left. I don't think we under have a full understanding. And if we only listen to the right, I don't think we have a full understanding. He goes, I really appreciate uh, what you have said and, and how you've helped me understand some of these other issues. I found that to be incredibly strong. He was willing to say, look, I have my principles, but I'm listening to you and you're having some influence or at least helping me understand. So I think that's strength, but not being rude. And the second B, but is be kind but not weak. And you see these all linked together. So when you think about leadership, you do want a a kindly person or somebody has compassion, empathy, if not sympathy, at least empathy for others. But that better never be actually conflated with weakness. Because weakness is something altogether different. And when you are a weak leader, you're actually harming the people that are behind you that are self-proclaimed followers or followers by uh, circumstance or proximity doesn't matter. if you're weak, then you're actually doing a disservice. so you can be strong but not rude and kind but not weak. And I think again, this is why language is so important that we understand the difference between these words.
2: It's the balance right? I mean you've got to find that happy medium of of uh, you know again of being strong without and it seems like rudeness is the, is the is the is the the way of the day. I mean like you know we see it on social media. People aren't just disagreeing; they're trying to, you know, verbally eviscerate people. Um, and and again, being strong in your convictions or strong in your beliefs without being, you know, or kind in your beliefs without being weak, um, you don't want to be walked over. And it seems like everything on social media is reinforcing all the wrong sides. They're 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 reinforcing all the butts on the B butt uh, scale, so to speak.
3: Absolutely, and the third B butt of leadership is be bold, but not a bully. And again, all these things tie together and have commonality, but they do make distinct different points. And so to be bold is to be able to speak your mind, use your first amendment freedom of speech, be it in public, the public square, which today is social media or in newsprint for those that are still writing into the newspaper or what have you, or just speaking in a conversation or speaking out, Um, if you were to to attend a rally and feel comfortable to speak out, whatever, but be bold, but not a bully. And I think that all comes back to my first point about listening, being willing to listen. So being bold doesn't necessarily mean you're going to bowl over somebody else. You can listen to them. And in so doing, learn what it is they're actually trying to say and get to the bottom of it. And then again, be bold on your own principles. Never do you have to, to cede the ground to your principles, but you might actually learn something if you don't bully somebody. You might actually ask clarifying questions. Say, okay, I'm, I'm a staunch conservative, and I hear what you're saying. Help me understand. What, what does it mean to go into a place of universal basic income when, and then have the conversation? But be right. bold in your own principles, but don't bully the other person because you actually you, you're not leading at that point. And the fourth be but of leadership, according to Jim Rohn, is to be humble, but not timid. Be humble, but not timid. I mean, look, I I may not know everything about this, but I'm going to tell you what I think. uh, And without timidity, I'm going to speak my mind. And I think there's nothing more satisfying than having spoken your mind. There's nothing more frustrating than leaving the scene of a discussion and going, I should have said, oh, I can't believe I didn't think of that. So be humble in your approach, but not timid. Be bold, but not a bully. Right, Kind, but not weak. Strong, but not rude. We're making our way down to number seven, Michael. This is okay. exciting.
2: All right. Well, no, this is, I mean, this is my whole radio show. I mean, this really is the things that I try to live by the radio is one of the things like i i've always wanted more people to come from the left i'm not really ever really beating people up or ad hominem attacking people i may take issues with their principles or with their philosophies or certain issues but i mean this is you're you're hitting right in the game of where i'm striving to be so i'm excited to hear what the next b but is
3: it's, it's exciting to hear you forget how many pejoratives you've used against me, but uh, that's okay. Let's move on. I forgive you, Michael. Uh, all right. The fifth of leadership is be thoughtful, but not lazy. And I think that there's sometimes when somebody's thoughtful in their uh, approach or reproach of somebody else, or they really want to think about something and, and you think, are they slow? Is it, why didn't this person speak up? What's going on here? No, no. Thoughtful. So it's sort of that, think twice, speak once, maybe would be a great way to think about that, but not confuse it with you know lethargy and just eh, I you know, I'll, I'll get around to that later or I'll respond later. I like that. So be thoughtful but not lazy. So that means we have to be active in leadership. It's an active position. and I don't think we have a choice today. If you watched any of the president speaking in Poland, and You watch any, if you're even mildly aware of what's happening in the world and our position in the world and everything from modern monetary policy to uh, what le- what has led to this inflation, what has led to the, the, the precipice of World War III and our uh, culpability and our involvement and inculcation and everything that's happened in Ukraine leading up to this moment in time, if you don't recognize that it's time for you to lead where you are with what you've got, You might fall into this category of being thoughtful uh, versus lazy. And that's my thought here is we need to really understand leadership as it pertains to us, the individual, right
2: now, quickly. Well, and how much is laziness and and how much is apathy? Or how much is just frustration of throwing our hands into the air? Maybe it's not laziness, it's be thoughtful, but maybe it should be be diligent, you know, instead of being don't be lazy. Because sometimes it's not laziness, it's just like, ugh, I can't do it anymore.
3: And that's okay. Maybe there's maybe you're not the one that's supposed to run around with the acid reflux and pulling your hair out and, and making decisions as to whether to push the red button or not. No, that's not within your your hands. And, and definitely moderate your stress level, of course. But leadership means being aware. And then um, I think the whole thoughtful, thoughtful versus laziness is do be thinking about it. What do you think about what's happened? I asked Senator Sullivan the other day on my radio show when I interviewed him about the, the biolabs and these, these labs that are in, in Ukraine. I'm very concerned about them. I'm very concerned about our role in having housed or warehoused or studied pathogens and different things there. I really want to know. And um, so I'm thoughtful about it. Uh, I'm not attacking him or our country over it, but I'm, I am I want to know about it. And so I'm going to continue to look into it. I'm going to continue to ask the hard questions, but I'm I'm certainly not going to destroy my own gut over it with stress. Right. You know what I mean? Okay. There's only so much I can do. Okay. Um, and then the sixth of leadership, according to Jim Rome, is to be proud, but not arrogant. And this ties into your exact use. Almost you can see the future is what you are talking about a moment ago about this arrogance idea. And I think pride versus arrogance i think when you heard barack hussein obama say that a lot of countries think they're the best country you know america is not the, I mean, the best country i mean you know a lot of people think that, that there's exceptionalism in their country and uh, ethiopian is exceptionalism etc and i think the idea of being proud of our country and arrogant get conflated too often and this is right. for you know pride of a leader pride of somebody that's actually maybe uh really worked hard to get where they are. And I think our country has, we've been an exemplar of having to work for what we've got in this country uh, From everybody from carving uh, slavery out of our country and taking that thread out of the fabric of this nation and, and still fighting, you know, civil rights and racism, etc. I think that's all part and parcel. I'm proud of this country. Uh, but I, yeah, I especially probably could confuse that with arrogance once in a while. But I think when we're leading, it's, it's powerful to be prideful and uh, arrogance can actually take us off track.
0: Right.
2: Absolutely. That leads us up to the seventh but from according to Jim Rohn.
3: And this is one that I struggle with the most, Michael, and that's to be funny, but not a fool. <laughs> be funny, but not a fool. And, uh, you know, it's like you know, there's a fine line, but I think humor in life, I think we can't take ourselves too seriously as leaders. And I think we need to to have some sense of humor, especially self deprecating humor. Uh, but don't play the fool because nobody will follow you.
2: Um, I've been known to walk that line a time or two. <laughs> <laughs> Blur that you line. Know, I've been known to smudge that thing just a little bit. Um, I think the one that's hardest, quite honestly, is the confidence, um, you know, the confidence line, uh, which was number one. Um, and and again, that pride, uh be proud but not arrogant. Um, and I think that confidence, again, confidence has a tendency for, in some people to bleed into arrogance as well. And it's it's not it, it it maybe it's not even confidence. Maybe it's a false pride that they're seeing instead. But um, you know, these are all things that are good. I think these are all things that you know you've got to find somebody who's well rounded in all seven of these, um, and uh, you'll be able to make your points heard. I think. I think you can make a difference if you can master all seven of those positions. Um I mean, it'll make you a great salesperson, but it'll also make you uh, you know I think, a better person to be able to get your point across.
3: And I think that's if you, if you just go back to Ronald Reagan's era for just a moment and think about the idea of what he actually did. He sold America to Americans. Not only did he sell America the idea and the idealism of America to Americans, he sold it to the world. And when he said, Mr. Gorbachev, bring down, you know, tear down this wall. That was a a sales pitch like none other. And that's really confidence. That is leadership. It was powerful, not boastful, but incredibly proud of his country and what we've become. And I think when you listen to words like Bono, say from Ireland, and he has said that America is an idea and there's a bit of America in the entire world, that idea of freedom and democracy and true liberty born into each person and protected by the constitution but not given by a sovereign leader to us it's definitely inalienable rights that we're born with you hear other people describe this idea of america and you realize oh yes we should be incredibly proud of this country and the idea of america and that is our greatest export
2: i think you're right on i think you're right on with that um uh, we're about to wrap up here, Chris. Uh, are you are – you, uh, you, you were just talking about Ukraine and the bio labs and everything else. You got thoughts on this beyond this that you want to explore, or should we bring you back next week to talk about something like that?
3: Oh, I'll hang out. If you've got another few minutes, I'll hang out with you. All,
2: All right, right, well, we'll let's hang out that. for a minute because I think this is interesting. We're getting word today that uh, Moscow appears to be pulling back some of their forces from Kiev and people are wondering uh you know basically this was predicted here a few days ago because of supply line issues and everything else but it does leave me some questions as to where do we think it goes from here and some of the things we're hearing about so i want to get your take on it because i believe you're a reasonable guy i mean i hate to say that in front of you but everything but i believe you're a reasonable guy and i'd like to get your hot take on this so don't go anywhere the michael duke show continues chris story is our guest we will continue with more right after these
0: messages. Don't go anywhere. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
2: Okay, <clears throat> we're running late. There in the break with Chris Story right now, uh, talking about stuff. Um, you know, I get I got a call the other day, Chris. Uh, this is the second time I think in a week that uh, this gentleman is called. He listens to Firearms Friday from Las Vegas, um, but he has called in twice now to tell us that uh, that uh, you know Putin is uh, is actually you know rooting out the new world order and the. Uh, Oh, actually, I think he said it was the Jew world order, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, and that he is the one that's actually saving us from from all the one worlders and and everything else. And that uh, if we just knew about the Nazi brigades and everything, I mean, which apparently is a this is a person who's called in the past and been, you know, fairly straightforward and conservative. But I've seen these kind of ideas Mm -hmm. and memes going on. How do you reconcile that when you talk to people? I'm assuming that you've run into this. Um, Oh, yeah. So what, is your, what are your thoughts on that to begin with before we get into some of the other details of Ukraine?
3: Well, think about our previous segment there on leadership and the fact that when you look at the leadership that we have, all the way back to George uh, Herbert Walker Bush signing on to the United Nations Agenda 21 for quite a while. And that was back in, what, 1990, 91, when he signed on to that in Rio de Janeiro. Ah, uh, during their UN meeting, you'd think, well, that's a bit kooky, tinfoil hattie to think in terms of that. There's going to be any efforts to actually create this communitarianism that people learned about with bringing the top down and the bottom up to this, you know, sort of meet in the middle where no one has too much and no one has too little, almost an I- idyllic version of communism, or at least the aims towards which Marx would hope to achieve. And of course, it's it's impossible without totalitarianism leading to that ubiquitous. Nirvana on Earth. It isn't right. going to it Has to be done at the, the point of the tip of a spear and the point of a gun. And I, I just think, in terms of, I don't doubt anything right now inside of this vacuum of leadership. We have a complete vacuum of leadership in this country, in the United States of America. We don't have it in the Senate. We don't have it in the Supreme Court. We don't have it in. Uh, the the executive branch or the House of Representatives, we have a vacuum of leadership and people that are filling, speaking of vacuums, they're using a Hoover to vacuum up as much money and power uh, that that they can. And so I think that right now, when you have this vacuum of leadership, conspiracies like what just mentioned there, that Putin's actually a a savior of sorts. uh, Yes, I am hearing from, from listeners also who are suggesting that. And I think with Putin, you have somebody who glorifies the the old days of the, his KGB and his Soviet reign. I think that's what he actually wants, and he's, you know, he's um, collaborating with China. I mean, right. there, what what more direct well, towards one world order can you get there?
2: This is almost uh, this is like Clausewitz all over. I mean, you have to create the national boogeyman for the nation to rally behind. And in this case, they had to rally behind the fear of Nazis. I mean, obviously, you know, the Russians felt the sting of the Nazi machine uh, much deeper than anybody here in the United States because they faced them right on their doorstep, you know, and and, and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Russian citizens and civilians and, and soldiers were killed. And so it is the boogeyman in their backyard that they can remember. And so it has to be something that's ginned up in that regard. And. I guess what I Except would,
3: that I do think we are headed towards. I think there's a conglomeration, there's a, a majority stakeholder group from Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum on down that to, to do want a singular governance and singular oh, world well, order. Well, yeah, I would it not. To be new made.
2: It's not to say that I don't think Putin is pushing back on that kind of one world ideology, but the, the thing that gets me is that then people say, and he's doing it because he, you know, for like these humanitarian uh, uh, reasons or, you know, these philanthropic reasons. And the bottom line is, no, what he wants is he wants to create a new imperial Russia or a new, uh, you know, relive the glory of the Soviet Union, as you talked about earlier. And I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that he is, you know, fundamentally against a one world order as long as he's in charge kind of thing, right?
3: Yeah, agreed. 100% 100% agreed. And I think, yeah, to mistake him as some sort of a, a messianic character that's, um, or, you know, George Pat, you know, General Patton, or, you know, anything like that. Nope, this guy is, you know, there's a reason he waited for the weakness of a Biden administration to do what he's doing. There's a reason he didn't do this in 2015, or excuse me, 2017, or 2018, or 2019. You know, he, he waited for his opportune uh, time not to reset you know, our lives and make our lives less headed towards the one world order. But just really, as you said, I think it's the recreation of the Soviet union, the empire in his mind. He wants to
2: be at the head of that. Well, and I think in some ways he bought his own press and I think that has uh, come back to bite him uh, uh, at this case as well. Uh, But we're 20 seconds out, so we'll, uh, we'll rejoin it. And uh, I don't normally dabble in the geopolitics region, Uh, but I'm interested to hear what Chris has to say about this. So we'll get his take on it, and it'll be an interesting discussion. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share this video. Like and follow the show page. Here we go. Okay, welcome back to the program. Continuing, uh, Chris Story, who normally just gives us kind of our uplift, he did a great job with the seven B-butts of leadership from Jim Rohn. But uh, I asked him to stay because he mentioned in passing something about Ukraine. Now, as I just told the listening audience during the break that I'm not I'm not huge on geopolitics. I mean, I do follow some things because they interest me, but I don't generally cover them on the program unless they're in basic broad strokes. But, uh, I mean, I, I find some interesting things happening. We were just talking about this, uh, this theory that I keep seeing in some circles on the right about how uh, Putin is somehow some kind of messianic savior who, through philanthropic reasons, is trying to stop a – one world or new world order, or one world govern or whatever, and that makes him a savior. and uh, and 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 I all I can help with thinking is is that here's a guy who's an authoritarian, a total I mean, he's really a dictator, is what he is. Uh, an authoritarian. And the only reason I think he's trying to stop any kind of increasing of a one world or one, you know worldwide organization is because he's not the head of it. Um, but Chris has mentioned some other things too, including, uh, the biolabs, which we've seen some, uh, some uh, uh, evidence that there were biolabs in there uh, that had been funded in part by the U.S. There's some question as to what they were working on and whether or not that stuff is secure. We just saw this morning or yesterday that they were reporting that Chernobyl, some of the diagnostic isotopes that they use for uh, calibrating their equipment and some of the and some of the raw waste from Chernobyl has gone missing and there's concerns about dirty bombs. And then we hear now the Russians are pulling back from Kiev, whether that's the supply line issue finally catching up or maybe there's something bigger afoot. I don't know. Chris uh, joins us now to kind of discuss that. So, Chris, uh, wherever you want to start, I mean, if you want to start on the bio labs, what was Senator Sullivan's answer when you asked him specifically about the bio labs in Ukraine?
3: I don't want to say obfuscated the question, but it really uh, was not touched on. So um, it didn't, didn't go there. He didn't really want to discuss it, um, and I didn't push the point. Um, having him as a, as a guest, it's it's difficult enough to get a hold of. The, the senator uh, didn't certainly want to push the point on that because he, he may not be looped in or he may not be able to speak to it. I know one thing he said was very frustrating. Is that because I had congratulated him on his pressing of, you know, Austin and Millie and Blinken relative to how we withdrew from Afghanistan and that he was really holding their feet to the fire publicly. Right. And I celebrated that. And he said they just concluded the week prior to my conversation with him, a closed door, uh, you know, confidential session that they couldn't allow the public. in, And he was questioning or he, they wouldn't allow the public into the Senate hearing. And he said, why are, why aren't the cameras here? Why isn't the public here? And I think so he's definitely coming from the right place. But I'm not sure that, you know, in that moment, that question was going to be answered. My bigger concern is with leadership in respect to what we were talking about before individually. We need to be thoughtful and strong and bold and questioning and listening and researching all of these things so we can be influencing the people that are having a great um you're going to be influencing the outcome of this because there is no doubt in my mind. As soon as I heard Marco Rubio asking the question and getting sort of a, a, a surprise answer, well, yes, there, we do have secured labs there. It's like, wait a minute. All of that flashed through my mind about Burisma, Hunter Biden's connections to Burisma, the president of Ukraine currently having been foisted to power in part by an oligarch of Ukraine who is very involved with burisma himself if not uh on the board of president he's very high up in that organization and then you start to think about vice president biden suggesting that he got a prosecutor fired for looking into burisma by withholding a billion dollars of loan guarantees to that country of ukraine you think we have been meddling with and mixing with since 19 what 91 92 we have been involved in Ukraine and undoubtedly somebody said, well you know well why would you put a bio lab? why would you do that kind of research in Ukraine for God's sake? Because it is a completely corrupt place where we could buy our way in or at least we're helping you secure these labs. Well what takes 30 years to secure and destroy or you know make um, you know secure these bio labs? In, the, in maybe the passengers win it. No, right. I don't believe it for a second. I think we're up to our elbows in it. And I'm currently I'm almost finished reading The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert Kennedy, Jr. And if you think of him, whatever you want to. He's been uh, since 2005, um, basically cast aside from the liberal left, whom he used to be a hero of once he started looking into vaccines. Um, this book isn't just about the vaccines relative to COVID-19. The real Anthony Fauci lays out the facts um, wide open. It's the most footnoted book I've ever read. We are up to our eyeballs in research abroad and in this country that would keep us up at night if we knew what we were doing. Anthony Fauci himself has pointed $895 billion in whatever direction he sees fit. That's almost a trillion dollars over his career that he has funded whatever it is that he wants to uh, see come to light or not come to light, he can squash it. We have been so involved in the Wuhan laboratory. You know, that that is we have fingerprints on that i asked an attorney friend of mine right. if, he, if he ever thought we'd be seeing a class action suit because of our involvement u.s involvement in that lab i think we just need to wake up and be bold be brave and say you know what we may have our fingers in the pie over there and we may need to own this
2: uh i mean so far we basically uh, and you're right we have meddled in ukraine we've used ukraine as a stocking horse for years against Russia with the threat of joining U- the EU or joining NATO. We've dangled that out there for many years even though from the treaty of Bel- of, uh, of of Belarus we would, you know, we said we wouldn't. Um and so we are definitely partially to blame for what's going on here because again we continued to dangle that Ukrainian question in front of them. I'm not justifying, I'm saying it just added mm-hmm. to the angst and the tension. But now that it's happened and we've seen that the Russian machine has smashed its might on the will of the Ukrainian people, um who have fought back like i mean boof man honey badgers and wolverines it's like it's it's amazing um but we've been giving aid and doing some of these other things do you think we're doing the right thing we got about 2 minutes here
3: you know of co- you know of course trying to push putin back of course but i think we need to come back to the the root of it rather than okay that's that's a conversation that needs to be had are we doing the right thing currently let's look back and think when we put Biden in office, we began, I think, the countdown clock to the invasion of Ukraine, just like when Putin took back Crimea in 2014 uh, in the Obama years. And Biden said it as soon as we elected President Obama. He said, they're going to test him. They're going to test him. Well, the world's going to test him. And they did. And once Biden got into office. So I think if we look at nothing else in those last 30 seconds we've got here is consequences, consequences. Uh, from elections will prolong
0: the Mm. suffering
3: of the world. And I think that's where we need to come back and have a real come to Jesus moment here in America. What are we going to do? And are you going to be a leader in your life right now with the situation we have on the ground here, which is a president who is not mentally fit and he's dangerous and so to me i think we, that's what we can have the most influence on right now i hope we're not prolonging the suffering of the ukrainians by handing them shotguns and pistols and rocket launchers i hope that we're not prolonging that suffering but um i i'm more concerned about our own president right now
2: yeah i mean we've seen this and of course russian expansionism with georgia and belarus and of course donoviesk and some of the other crimean breakaways and everything it's uh it's going to be interesting to see where this all comes out and we'll be looking back and picking this apart i'm sure for years uh thank you my friend it's good to hear from you and thank you for being part of the program today
3: thank you for your leadership in the world michael
2: appreciate it my friend out of time folks well that does it it's interesting to see all of this stuff kind of break down um i find it fascinating um the the war component of it as well anyway um all right we're out of time we got to uh, we got to go got to got to got to go appreciate you guys being part of it and we will see you tomorrow kelly shabaka mike shower will be our guest the michael duke show the common sense radio